Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. My name is Allison Braley, and I have the privilege to serve as the Next Steps Director at Bridgeway Church in Kokomo. And you may have noticed that I didn't say uh, there was a pastor in my title. Uh, and, uh, you know, so why am I up here uh, giving this talk? And that's a really great question. I, um, you know, have asked myself many, t- many times recently. But in all seriousness, Bridgeway is a church that believes that women um, have a value in their voice and that they're insight is valuable and that they have a place um, on a stage and in our communities in such a great way. I just always thought it would be uh, some other woman, but you know, it's okay. Here I am. But I know your pastor and my friend Eric also uh, feel the exact same way. So it really is an honor uh, to be here with you this morning. It's been exciting to watch you grow as a church um, and just find your rhythm and your place in this um, amazing community of Peru. So I'm going to introduce myself a little bit. My family's going to love this picture that I chose, by the way. Uh, This is my family. Um, (laughs) This is my husband, Nick. Uh, We have been married for 20 years now. I know we look so young, so, but it's true. It's true. Uh, And these are our two girls. Lauren is going to be a junior um, in high school, and Mackenzie is going to be a junior in college in the fall. And then these are our two dogs. This is Wrigley, and then this is Ivy. She was my, you know, quarantine. Some people had babies. Some people got dogs. I was the dog person, thankfully. So uh, so this is a little bit about my family. But since most of you don't know me, part of my role at Bridgeway is to host, kind of like Sarah was doing, to give the announcements, talk about all the exciting things uh, that are coming up in the life of the church. But one thing that you probably don't know about me is that I am filled with anxiety and fear literally every single time and um, pretty much sweat through my clothes. So I know it's disgusting. It's fine. You're going to learn a lot about me today in this way. So just roll with it, okay? But I get anxious every single time, even if it's just talking about an upcoming event that we're having, right? So you can imagine how I feel today or when I have to give uh, the talk in Kokomo. I make friends at the grocery store, but, you know, talking in front of you all uh, makes me extremely nervous. So let me ask you this question this morning. What are you afraid of? Okay, maybe it's this first picture I have here. Spiders, anyone? You love them? Okay. Yeah, my kids, anything that crawls along the floor that's not our dog is, you know, they're scared. Uh, But maybe you're this instead. Is it heights? Jumping out of a plane? Roller coasters? This is actually me and the booming metropolis of Frankfurt, in case you wanted to know what it looked like from the sky. It's this. But maybe heights is the thing that you are afraid of. Or maybe it's this. Speaking in front of a crowd like this, you think, I could never get up there and do that. I also used to think that, so literally you could. This could be you, okay? But maybe speaking in front of a large group of people, but maybe you're like my mom and this is what you're afraid of. My mom would rather come to a complete stop on the exit ramp than have to merge onto interstate traffic, even though I have tried to tell her over and over again, that is not the smart uh, choice to make. But she just, she... Interstate driving, not her jam, okay? 
But maybe there's something that you used to be afraid of that you're not so much anymore. For me, it is this, the movie Jaws, okay? When I was a kid, super terrified of the movie Jaws, and not necessarily just sharks, but just this movie in general, fear, right? But now that I'm older and I've learned a little more, I realize that this, you know, mechanical shark didn't even work half of the time. So literally there was nothing to be afraid of, but I didn't know that at the time, right? But since we're at church, let's talk about kind of the spiritual aspect. Do you feel like God has ever called you to do something that you were afraid of? I know he has, for me, obviously, I'm up here, right? But maybe it was giving to an organization or some charity when you're not super flushed up with cash. Maybe um, it's speaking out against something that you felt like you were the only person speaking out about. Why don't we always answer when he calls, though, right? It's because it can be super scary. But I believe, and I think, hopefully, you'll discover today that fear and faith can coexist. I know it's not always a popular opinion uh, that those two things can happen, but I think as long as you do not let your fear paralyze you and you push through, that fear and faith can coexist. So I'm sure you've heard this before if you grew up in church or maybe you, you know, have friends on Facebook that post certain things, but fear and worry are sins, and God tells us, not to be anxious, okay? Easy peasy, right? Done and done, we're just gonna go. This is the final message and we're all headed to breakfast because it's not quite time for lunch, right? Not quite, but if I had a dollar for every time that somebody told me this, I would be a rich lady and I can tell you that I am not, all right? But although there's some truth to those words, as with most things, it's only part of the story. If you're anything like me and you struggle with anxiety, fear, worry, and you're also a Christian, you may already feel out of place in a lot of scenarios or situations. Most likely hearing that statement isn't helpful and it brings nothing but guilt and some shame a lot of times. No one wants to be anxious and fearful. Literally no one would wish that upon themselves. But I felt like an outsider in the Christian world many times because fear and worry are a legitimate struggle for me and they always have been. But does that make me a defective Christian? Like possibly if people knew how anxious you were that you'd be like thrown out onto the street with a shiny new Bible with a post-it on it that's just like, read this and then come back to me, you know? It's just not how it works for those of us with anxiety and worry. But maybe you're with us this morning and you don't even know what you believe about this whole faith, God, Bible, church thing. And first of all, super glad that you're here. Okay, come back next week when the regular pastor is here as well. But even if you're not sure about all of that stuff, don't you experience anxiety and fear and worry sometimes? Even if you don't know what you believe? Don't you wish that sometimes Christians would stop oversimplifying uh, the things in life that get messy and complicated and hard? Because I know I do, right? Yes, please. So can faith and fear coexist? I've probably asked myself this question no less than a thousand times over the span of my life because I've consistently heard the message that if you have faith in Jesus, then you can't have fear but that it's one 
or the other. It's either you have faith or you're full of fear. But I don't buy into that idea anymore. And, you know, I honestly don't think that um, God is the one that's been selling it to me (laughs) all these years. I found a whole lot of freedom uh, because I've kind of let that go, the one or the other kind of scenario. I know what you're going to say, but, you know, in the Bible it says, do not be afraid. And yes, it says that a lot, more than 350 times, actually, if you were to, you know, Google and look all of that up. But I think maybe we've missed something with this whole anxiety and fear bashing. Uh, We've forgotten that fear is just an emotion, You guys, it's a God-given emotion. The truth is, it's normal to feel fear. And honestly, it'd be a little weird um, if you didn't because it's the reason why after you touch a hot stove one time, you don't go back and do it again because you're afraid of getting burned. It's the reason why you don't walk on the edge of a mountain without a harness because you're afraid of falling off. It's not that we shouldn't ever feel fear. We're just not supposed to obey it. I think these two things get confused a lot of times. I believe that fear and faith can coexist because one drives us to the other. We can feel fear, but we can choose God's truth. I've learned a lot in religious circles, or maybe you've never heard this, you know, hopefully, I don't know, but I heard this a lot growing up that fear is really just unbelief in disguise. Fear is just unbelief in disguise. When Jesus walked the earth, an eyewitness named Mark recorded some of the incredible things that Jesus did and we, uh, that we now find in our Bibles. And Mark chapter 9 records a story of a father who had brought his son, um, who had been possessed since birth, to the disciples in hopes that they would heal him, right? He foamed at the mouth, he gnashed his teeth, he had seizures, seizures and such violent uh, convulsions that he had literally fallen into a fire once. The The father was at the end of his rope. He did not know what else to do. He was scared and afraid for his son's well-being. And when the disciples couldn't heal him, he sought out Jesus because as parents, I mean, wouldn't we go through anything to find help for our children? In Mark 9, 22, the father says, if you can do anything. Take pity on us and help us. Jesus answered that all things are possible to those that believe. The father replied, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We can have faith in Jesus and fear of the unknown. To cry out and admit that we are afraid or unsure does not negate the faith that we do have. I don't recall Jesus in that passage telling the father that he was a big sinner because of his fear fearful unbelief. No, he actually rewarded the admittance of this fear by fulfilling his request to increase his faith when he healed his son. God knew what an enormous struggle that this would be for all of us. So I think he says, do not fear so many times in the Bible, not to condemn us, but to encourage us. I no longer buy into the thinking that Christians shouldn't fear because honestly, that's just silly. (laughs) We will be fearful. We're human. What matters most is what we do with this fear when we feel it. 
The question isn't, are you fearful? It's, where are you taking your fear? Whom are you seeking for help? Because when God directs us to be strong and courageous like he does in Joshua 1.9, it's not because he wants you to be a superhero by any stretch of the imagination or never fear feel fear or anxious, it's because he knows we need reminded that we are going to forget in those moments that um, we are strong and we are courageous and we can choose faith and that we aren't alone. This struggle with fear and doing what we're called to do is literally as old as humanity, okay? Generations before uh, Jesus was born, God's people were in slavery, and God wanted to um, use a man named Moses to bring them out of this slavery and to set them free. And it sounds like that would be super exciting, right? Like if I'm Moses, I'm like, yes, please, I get to be the hero. Just let me know when we leave. I am all on board because, I mean, who doesn't want to be? the hero of the story, right? So how does Moses handle the situation though? Uh, Not as great probably as one would hope, but one day Moses was tending um, to this sheep flock of his father-in-law far out into the wilderness and um, until they get to Mount Sinai, um, just this mountain of God, huge place, but there an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the middle of a bush. And Moses start, just was staring in amazement, as we all would, because that just is not a thing that happens. Um, but because the bush wasn't burning up, Moses was like, I think I need to go look at that a little bit closer, which is also why women live longer, because we would not do that. We'd be like, oh, this bush just started a blaze in the middle. No, thanks. I'm going to keep my distance. But Moses, no. He goes a little bit closer. But then it says, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. I mean, shout out to Moses for being like, yep, it's me. I'm right here. But then the Lord proceeded to tell him that he had seen the oppression of his people and he wanted to help, right? He had heard their cries, was aware of their struggles, wanted to bring them out of slavery. All he needed Moses to do was one thing first. No big deal, right? I can do one thing. If you're going to give me this land of milk and honey that I have been praying and waiting for all of these years, one thing. He said, Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Sounds like a plan. Like, when do we leave, right? But no. Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. We see Moses starting to pump the brakes, right? Like the road is getting a little icy and he can't figure out how to stop. So he's doing one of these on the the brakes. But God is just trying to reassure him little by little that he's, telling him, like, I'm going to perform all kinds of miracles among the Egyptians so that way they will like you, Moses. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Like, nanner, 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 right? So the Lord gave him 
three miraculous signs that he performed to convince people. Three, as if one convincing miracle would not be enough, right? He gave him another and then another just to be on the safe side, to make sure that he was reassured over and over. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. As you can imagine, the Lord was uh, not super amused. In the next verse, it actually says that he was angry. But I know there was a lot to take in, a lot of scripture there. So let's break it down in my everyday language. And um, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm kind of an open book, a straightforward, slightly blunt kind of weirdo. So follow along with me here. So at the beginning, Moses says, like, here I am. And God says, that is super great. Here's what I need you to do. And then Moses has his very first excuse. He's like, why me? Like, why can't you choose anyone else? And God says, you're going to be great. I'm going to be with you literally the whole time. I will not leave you. Moses has his second excuse. Well, what if they try to talk to me? God says, this is exactly word for word what you are going to say. Then I will perform wonders and miracles and I will wow them and I will make them pleased with you and they will love you. What else do you want from me? Then Moses has this third excuse. What if they don't listen? God says, well, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. Then Moses has this fourth excuse. He said, have you ever heard me talk? God says, that is super rude because I gave you that mouth. So yes, I have heard you speak many times. And then Moses has his fifth excuse. He's like, for the love of all that's holy, please send someone else. No, thank you. Moses wasn't alone in his fear and excuses either because Abraham, Jonah, Joshua, Esther, and I could go on. They all had excuses for why they couldn't or didn't want to do the thing that God was asking them to do. All of them were called to be outside of their sweet spot, their comfortable spot, where they were nice and comfy and warm, right? Because they were afraid. They were full of fear and excuses, just like us at times. But generations later into the New Testament with Jesus, even when he called his disciples, he didn't call them to just be comfortable, Matthew, who was another eyewitness to Jesus' life and ministry, recorded in his gospel in chapter 8, starting in verse 18, that when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. He said, follow me now. Leave what you know behind because once you're in my presence, you'll see and experience something that you have never seen before. I will literally change your life, but you have to follow me now. 
Then in the very next verse, then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. Jesus asked his disciples, why are you afraid? In the middle of a storm and a raging sea, in the middle of this boat that was taking on water, right? Fear seems like a pretty natural response to me, right? But Jesus didn't give his disciples a pass because he expects more of his disciples. Because if he is the Lord of your life, then he is trustworthy, I also think that Jesus takes the moments of our life that are, were full of fear and excuses and uses them as teachable moments. So mu- not, not so much to rebuke and chastise the disciples or us, but to teach us and encourage us. So when I think back to Moses or the disciples and all of their so many excuses that they had. I also think of myself, right? Because when Joel Larison, the pastor at Bridgeway, asked me to give the talk um, for the very first time, I had all of the excuses. Like, I am professional excuse maker on my resume. I'm not a pastor. I didn't go to Bible college. I don't know the Bible inside and out. People will ask me questions I will 100% not know the answer to. I'm going to sound ridiculous because that's just who I am as a person. I'm not qualified. I'm going to have to probably change my clothes between services because we already talked about the sweat, right? Okay, what am I even going to talk about? That was the other thing. Like, I don't even know where to start, But who does that sound like? Moses? Maybe you sometimes? At the tail end of Moses' life, though, he took all that he had learned about his fear and tried to speak a different way into Joshua, who would um, succeed him and be the next leader of Israel. In Deuteronomy 31.8, Moses tells Joshua, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For me, this is Moses' version of, you know, sometimes you hear people say, like, this is what I wish I would have known when I was your age. That's what Moses was doing to Joshua there, that you don't have to be afraid or discouraged because the Lord has already gone before you and will be with you while you're doing whatever it is that he has called you to do, that you can trust him, that he is trustworthy even when his ways might seem super confusing or that you're not sure what he's calling you to do. But what do we see in all of these examples of those who have gone before us? They all felt fear, right? They were all anxious. They all stumbled before they ran, And that is okay because they chose to turn the volume down on their fear and to turn the volume up on their faith and God's presence and faithfulness to them. They made him louder and their fear quieter. So how do we do that today, right? You're like, oh, that's all well and good. That was way, way back when, like, you don't understand now. You know, this is different. How do we move past our fear to make the rest of 2022 a year of adventure, of following Jesus and discovering the joy that he has for 
us on the journey. Is that easier said than done? I don't think so, but let's start with three practical ways that it may be a little easier to process. The first is to just say yes. I'm talking about saying yes to the things that Jesus has for your life, not everything ever. And just as a little side note, ladies, uh, we are real terrible at this, okay? Just for the record. We want to say yes to everything. We want to make everyone happy. We think we can do literally everything, and we cannot. Okay, our plates get so full, we literally drop them on the floor a lot of times, and then we feel like failures, and we have this whole, like, identity crisis, okay? So stop. Let's, we're not doing that anymore. This is a thing we used to do. Now we are doing a new thing. Okay, we are, we're back here. But we want to do the things that make your heart beat faster. What are the things that get you excited? Those are the things we want to do more of. You don't have to just say yes to everything just to be saying yes, okay? But what is that for you? In 2012, um, our family kind of went through a rough patch, right? There was unemployment, tragic death, extreme sickness, loss of relationship, unrest in our marriage. Like, it was rough, and we had a lot going on. But we were in a small group, and we were going through a book called Love Does by Christian author Bob Goff. And he doesn't pay me to say this. I've literally never met the man before. But if you've never read it, honestly, I would encourage you to do so. It uh, changed my life, basically. But in one of the chapters, uh, Goff talks about, are you tied to the dock, or are you free to sail if God calls you? Are you stuck tied to this dock, or if he calls you, would you be willing to go wherever he's called, right? Uh, For the first time uh, ever, my husband, Nick, uh, said that he was free to sail, and I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, have you not been going through the same things that I've been going through? Because I'm pretty sure you have, but now you feel like you're free to sail? (laughs) I was super confused, but I was like, okay, let's go with it. But um, that very next morning, I got a call from Jason Braun, who runs an organization uh, locally called Dad Camp. And you may have heard of it, but it's a weekend where fathers and their kids can get together. They do a lot of different activities, but they also have a lot of intentional time together. And uh, my husband has taken the girls, and so Jason knew Nick through there, and he called to see if Nick and our oldest, Mackenzie, would want to go with dad camp to Haiti the following summer. So this, for me, and I know for Nick as well, was basically God's way of saying, like, did you mean what you actually said last night? Are you free to sail? Because here is this opportunity that you've never had before. Are you going to take it, or are you still tied to the dock? So passports were purchased and funds were raised and shots were given and they both set out for their first trip out of, oh, I just want to like pinch our cheeks. Okay, Uh, first trip out of the country in either of their entire lives and it was a game changer. You guys, they visited uh, two different uh, locations that summer and put on dad camp events where Haitian uh, fathers brought their kids and were able to spend one-on-one time time with their children, speaking love and life uh, into them and over them, some of them for the first time ever. Nick has since been on two additional trips, once with Mackenzie back to Haiti and another to Guatemala doing the same type of things. So you guys, 
are you free to sail or fly or even walk next door to your neighbor? I don't want to ask what's what's the worst that can happen, right? Because then we get stuck back in this land of excuses over and over again. But what's the best that could happen if you said yes? Whose life could you change? Because honestly, it will probably be your own. The second practical tip I want to offer up to you is that turn fear into friendship. How can you do your part to bring heaven down here to earth, to bring up there more down here? Maybe it's that unfamiliar neighbor, that coworker that nobody else seems to like or that people are afraid of, the stranger who doesn't exactly look like you. My family, like I said, gives me a hard time because I make friends at the grocery or literally anywhere that we go. I will talk to anyone. But it's okay. I just want to know at the grocery, like, is the ice cream you're holding, is it actually good? I just, should I get it? You know, if you're picking up coffee creamer and it's something that doesn't taste like sugar cookies or something, like, why? Why would you do that when you could have this delicious tasting thing here? But, you know, sometimes people look at me weird. It's okay. But I'm also that person that's in the grocery that, you know, sees the mom with kids that are climbing in and out of the grocery cart and they're crying and they're running everywhere. She looks exasperated and overwhelmed and gives her an encouraging word. And like, we're in this together. You know, sometimes they look at me like, you have no idea what I'm going through. And I'm like, yes, I do. I have two kids as well. They have also been in this same way. But sometimes there is solidarity in knowing that you are not alone, that people see you and appreciate you and encourage you because life is hard, you guys. It's so hard. I mean, if I could just give you all a high five even for just waking up and being here this morning, like I will do it because we are in this together. Now, I do not always get it right. Do not get it twisted because like I told you, I have fear and insecurities the same as you. And uh, we have lived in our house actually for like 14 years, I think, maybe longer. And it wasn't until 2020 when I met my literal next door neighbor. Okay, that is not my best moment, but it's true. But I've also avoided other people or situations because I didn't feel like I fit in or I didn't have anything in common with these people or that they were somehow, you know, better than me. And so I just was going to excuse myself. But looking back, I probably missed out on some really great people and some amazing opportunities because I was afraid. But whatever you do, it doesn't have to be extravagant. You guys, sometimes the smallest gestures mean more than the most expensive gift that you could give somebody. The text that you send, letting someone know that you're thinking about them, the coffee, coffee you drop off to, you know, the mom with sick kids or a sick husband, which is sometimes worse than having sick kids, let's be real. But maybe it's, you know, somebody who had surgery or something and, you know, you can deliver pizza, the lawn you mow for your neighbor or the shovel or the driveway that you shovel in the winter. I mean, I'm sure we can all think of a million ideas that we could do, but It's more about just coming alongside of someone and saying, I see you, I'm with you. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to fear. We are in this together. 
The last practical tip is to choose vision over visibility. Now, vision is the picture that you want your life to look like, that God wants it to look like, right? And your visibility is the clear picture about how you're going to get there. Visibility is, you know, you can see all the way through how you are going to make this vision happen. And maybe you already know where you're being called. Maybe you've had this kind of knot in your stomach that you've been ignoring for a long time and it just won't seem to go away. Maybe it's frightening because you know what you should be doing, but you don't know how to get there. You don't know who's going to help you. You don't know how you're going to finance it. You don't know how you're going to have time to do it, right? That's all just super clouded visibility because you just need to start somewhere. You don't have to know the answer to every single question before you start on the very first day, which is super hard for me as well because I'm a planner. So I get it if that is difficult for you, but you just need to start with the first step. When quarantine uh, started back in 2020, my girls talked me into joining TikTok. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's a social media platform where people post uh, short videos of dances or voiceovers or some people are falling. There's dogs. There's potatoes. You guys, there's literally everything on TikTok. The possibilities are endless. But one person that I kept seeing on my feed over and over again who I found super inspiring was this lady. She her name on there is Mrs. Space Cadet. So we it sounds like we should be besties and I wish that we were in real life, but she was supposed to run a marathon in um, the fall of 2020. And so she started training. She had never run a day before in spring 2020 when she started. But like most things, come midsummer, she found out that the marathon she was supposed to run got canceled. So, you know, if it had been me, I would have stopped running, uh, started eating my feelings and doing, you know, all of the things that did not have anything to do with running a marathon. But she kept going. She just kept putting one foot in front of the other, kept running and training. And so in November, she actually ran her own marathon with an, her trainer or another friend, they ran it together, even though they couldn't run the original one. And after that, she started training for another one with the goal of maybe being able to run it a little bit faster. But you guys, she's a real person who couldn't see the forest through the trees. Like she did not know how she was gonna make it 26.2 miles, but just kept running one day after another. So you might not be able to answer all of the questions on day one, but if you fight through that fear and those nerves and that anxiety, you'll get to day two, and then maybe you'll get to day 22, and day 222, or if you're like her, you know, mile 26.2. You can do anything as long as you push through the fear. Maybe your goal is to read the entire Bible. Maybe you've never done that before. You guys, there are apps on your phones that will help you get through every single day. They will send you notifications so you don't forget, like me, because, you know, a week later would pass and I'd be like, I need to really catch up. But there are lots of things that you can do to help you start this small goal. Maybe you want to go back to school. Set an appointment with an admissions counselor just to talk and see what it might even look like for you to be able to go back. Maybe you want to get involved in the community with a nonprofit. You guys, there 
dying for volunteers out there. So just pick up the phone or send an email and see maybe how you could help or what they need um, from you to do. But start somewhere. Here's the bottom line, you guys. The good news for me, and I honestly, I pray and I hope this is good news for you as well, is that Jesus died for the worrier, the fearful, the anxious, and the controller just as much as anyone else. And if you struggle with fear or with worry, remember the father that I talked about earlier that pleaded for his son's life when he said, I believe, help my unbelief. He acknowledged his belief and his fear in the same breath, and you can too. Instead of focusing on your battle with fear or your perceived lack of faith, acknowledge that you believe and that you're just struggling in this particular moment. Turn down that volume, that fear, the anxiousness, the nervousness, the worry, and turn up the volume on believing that God is with you. Adventure, you guys, is just on the other side of following him into the unknown, but we can't be afraid. Jesus said it best, obviously, right? In John 12, 27, when he said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.